Will you do me a favor, whether you're watching online, you're going to stand up at home in your living room and cheer all of our folks in the overflow room and all of you here in the main sanctuary. Could you all stand to your feet and please honor Pastor Keith as he comes to minister to us this morning. Amen. 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 Bless you. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Have a seat. Have a seat. Uh, Penny is here with me. She's leave- you leaving already? I haven't even started preaching. You're leaving already? Oh, okay. All right. She's got somewhere else to go. But anyway, everybody always asks me, where's Penny? There she is. I'm never broke because I got a penny. There she goes. She must have got offended at something I said. I don't know. Uh, by the way, Penny's got a book out. It's on the book table. It's called Love, Leadership, and Influence. It's a great book. It's outselling my book. <clears throat> but, uh, and there's an online study guide. So this is, this is a great read. And uh, my book is out there too called The God Who Intervenes. And I just talk about the intervention of God in our lives. And there's some teaching moments. And I'll maybe make a reference to that or two in our message today. But they're out there, there, I think there's some left. If we run out, you can get them online. But uh, anyway, let's jump into the Word. You ready for that? What a, what a joy to be with you. You know, this is, uh, we are very connected. If you're new here, as Pastor Ron said, I'm one of the apostolic overseers. That means that we have responsibility to your pastor and his team to care for them, to, to be a sounding board for them. Uh, this isn't like, we talk every week, uh, often more than once a week. And uh, Pastor Ron is a very important part of our national and international apostolic team. His wisdom and expertise are coveted by many people. Uh, you know, what's happening with Global Roar is exploded in our network. I think we have 24 pastoral teams signed up on Global Roar mission schools this year coming. It's incredible. We're planting schools. Uh, God, the churches are giving, and that's all because of the seed that started here. You know, you're in, uh, you know, I think what God is doing in Living Stones is geographically strategic, uh, and, uh, it's prophetically strategic. And the, the unselfish nature of this church to share everything you have, whether it's your staff, your resources, your gifting, your, you know, we use these facilities like we own them. I keep expecting to get a rental bill in the mail, like, you know, but we, we, NRP does a bunch of conferences here because of your hospitality and because of the strategic location, you know, and able people to get here. But, uh, you know, the hospitality, the spirit of generosity that's part of the culture of this church is very real and that has been handed down that's a generational blessing that came from uh pastor ron's dad and his dear mom carol of course who's still with us and uh is exhibited through them it's authentic it's real i know these people so if you're visiting here and you're saying are these people real listen they're as real as the paint on the wall let me just tell you uh what you see is what you get and what they're preaching to you they they are living out and inviting you listen not to be an audience but to participate. You are in this church because God is calling you to participate, not just clap your hands and applaud. And you might feel like you're not worthy of that, but God has other ideas, okay? And if you stay here, if you get connected, if you go through an encounter, if you get plugged into a life group, you're going to find yourself participating in things that you never thought 
were possible in your life because God is big and God is good. Amen? So this is real. We are in a great season right now. And smart people seize the moment. Amen? So I'm just I'm prophesying to some people here today. Take off the emergency brake. Let her roll. All right? Amen. So let's jump into the Scriptures here this morning. Lord, I just thank You for utterance in the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And uh, we're going to talk about embracing the supernatural. When I was uh, a local church pastor, when we would do uh, our... Uh, you know, new membership meetings. We called them orientation meetings. And we would, you know, have a gathering of new people coming so we could answer questions about the church. And invariably, part of that would be doctrinal things. And I would always try to steer the question to get the audience to get this question like, well, what's the most important doctrine of this church? And it was very simple. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are resurrection people. If you believe in the resurrection, you are now part of the new birth experience where you can believe anything God wants to do. Do you understand that? Not, listen, not believed in a, a resurrection that happened, but a resurrection that is, Jesus is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And the Bible says if that same Spirit who dwelled in Him dwells in you, it shall quicken, make you alive. Amen? So, whether you understand it or not, the moment you were born again, there was a Spirit person inside of you craving to walk in the Spirit craving to encounter the supernatural, craving to live in the realm of resurrection. And I want to talk to you today about how to reach out and embrace that. Because I think we have uh, maybe more mystical ideas about it sometimes than truly spiritual ideas. So I want to walk you through some Scripture biography on that. Is that okay? I'm going to do it anyway, whether it's not. But anyway. Okay. So 1 Kings. Let's go to 1 Kings 17. Now in 1 1 Kings 17, the whole chapter is a series of four miracles. It's probably the most condensed miracle biography in all of Scripture to my, to my understanding. So let's read 1 Kings 17.1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, Ahab was the wicked king. He was married to Jezebel. Notice no one ever names their kids Ahab or Jezebel. Okay, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives. Who lives? God lives. That's the supernatural cry. He is alive. Okay? I don't believe in a historical Jesus. I believe in His story Jesus. <laughs> that He is alive. Amen? Before whom I stand, there certainly shall be neither dew nor rain during these next years except by My Word. So the prophet puts himself out of there. Just one thing I'll throw in here on the supernatural. The supernatural never happens, I believe, until you put yourself out there. There's always the risk element. There's always the courage element. There's always that vulnerable, oh God, please show up, because I just said something really crazy. I can't tell you how many times that's happened in my life, all right? But you've got to just come to that point where you're not concerned about you, you're concerned about God showing up. Okay? So here we see this happen. Then we see four miracles happen. The drought happens, right? 
And then God tells Elijah, look, they're going to be after you, so I'm going to hide you out here in the wilderness, and I'm going to send a DoorDash raven with all kind of meals for you, and he's going to drop these meals on you, and you won't have to tip him or anything, he's just going to show up, and there's going to be a brook, and that's going to happen. Then he moves him to a widow he finds out gathering sticks, and she's got the endless flower pot and the endless oil pot, and he says, as long as you keep feeding me, your food's not going to go away, hallelujah. I'd like to have a gas station like that, wouldn't you? But anyway way uh you know that that you see, that's a miracle and then there's a, then her son dies the widow's son dies and he gets risen from the dead so we see four miracles that happen over about a thousand day period we know there's a three a three year a little more than a thousand days that are happening here now one of the things you have to grasp on the front end i think when when people are kind of maybe unfamiliar with the supernatural or, or they think more mystically not biblically they, they think they're just like audiences rather than participates but God always engages men people say well isn't God sovereign doesn't God just do things listen this is how sovereign God is God is so sovereign that he chooses to partner with men. He surely doesn't need to do it, but he chose to do it. To me, that's the greatest definition of sovereignty I can find in Scripture. God chose to do it. For instance, you know, in six days he created the earth, but then Jesus said, I'll build my church. Sometimes I think, Lord, why didn't you just like do the do the thing like the seventh day just do the church this would have solved a lot of problems okay but no he invites us to participate that's what a covenant relationship is okay god doesn't want spectators in the kingdom he wants participants in the kingdom so we see the widow thing happen now now elijah is conscious of this understanding so this is one of the things i want you to grasp in your spirit when god does something supernatural even if you think it's just personal there's always a bigger agenda god always has an agenda another name for an agenda is a mission god is always on a mission and he wants you to be on a mission okay so elijah is aware of this during this period that this is happening you know so there are some things happen let's look at the next chapter of the very first verse 18 1 let's just go there for a minute now what happened after many days you should underline that right because there is, there is an incubation period when the supernatural is happening, right? You know, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, he said, you know that prophetic word you got? You got to do some warfare over that. You got to bring that thing to pass. You just don't sit back and say, well, God, if that was you, you're going to make it happen. And God says, well, if I was speaking to you, how come you're not partnering with me on this, right? But anyway, so now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go present yourself to Ahab, which is going to be another act of courage, and I will provide rain on the face of the earth because in the meantime, Ahab has organized search parties and put a bounty on Elijah's head. And he has searched, he's gone to all the kingdoms around him and said to the kings, look, if this guy's hiding and you're protecting him, you and I are going to have a problem. He said, besides that, I'll give you some gold and silver and timber and whatever else you want if you turn Elijah over. So he is a wanted man. Everybody is looking for Elijah. And now God says, okay, that was great. You did that miracle ministry thing. Now it's time to courage up again. And you got to go confront the king. So that's the setting of what's happening. And I think it's important to understand that. People who experience God's intervention is not just so you have a moment, but you turn it into a mission. There are many people, listen, 
There are many people that have divine encounters with God. I'm not saying they have to be flamboyant encounters with God. But they're divine encounters where you know God has spoken to you, where you know God has intervened, where you know God has gone before you, where you know you've got undeserved mercy and favor and grace that has happened. And you can absorb that and you can eat that seed and rejoice in yourself or understand, wait a minute, God's got an agenda. God just did something in me and through me and He did something for me, but He wants now to do something beyond me. Amen? Elijah comprehends that, and he goes now to Ahab the king because he knows God's agenda is to do something greater. That he wants to see God restore worship. Look at 18.37, verse 37. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that the people may know, this is Elijah, that you are Lord, our God, and that you have turned their heart back. Isn't that precious? Why was God doing this? Why? To turn people's hearts back. The goodness of God that leads repentance. These are people that are in rebellion. These are people that are doing infant sacrifice. These are people that are ignorant of the law. They've never even heard of Moses. They've not met a Levite, many of them. You know, the, the, the law has been taken away. They've not had a prophet to them. And, and their hearts are hard. They're, and God is doing miracles. Why? To turn people's hearts. When God does something with you and for you and through you, you have to say, God, who do I share this with? I don't want to eat what, what is required of me. Penny and I, in our life, one of the things we practice is every blessing that's come through our hand, financial or otherwise, God, what is your first intention? Before we consume this, before, and, and God's got no problem with you being blessed, by the way. God's not a socialist. He don't have to take it off somebody else to give it to you. Hello? All right? So God's not, yeah, God's got no problem with you being blessed, but He wants to make a blessing out of you. He wants it to flow through you. He wants you to be the conduit of that blessing. So He, he you know, this is what he, Elijah understands this. I mean, Elijah's, I think he's pretty excited about confronting the prophets of Baal. I mean, he has some fun with them. You know, he, he, he said, like, what's the matter? Your God, is he out going to the bathroom? Where's he at? He didn't show up, you know? That's one of the funniest verses in the Bible, you know? I mean, I got to admit, I laugh sometimes when I read it. Okay, so there's, there's, some, there's some great things going on, but he wants to store, he wants to restore worship to what's happening. So we see these great four interventions. Now, there's a New Testament warning that should really sober us up and get our attention. I want to go there with you for a minute in 1 Corinthians 10. Okay? And my point is this. There are people that doubt the supernatural because they see people that claim it or are affected by it, and then they don't see it continue to live or come to pass. And they say, well, that really wasn't God. Wrong. Let's read it. Okay, 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant or unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea and they all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was Christ. They saw the waters part. They saw the manna. They saw the supernatural. They saw God write the Ten Commandments with His finger. Are you with me? They saw the quail. They saw the Egyptian army get swallowed up. They saw all this, but what happened? Nevertheless, 
Nevertheless, even in spite of this, with most of them, God was not well pleased for their dead bodies were spread out in the wilderness. That's a sobering challenge. What is God saying? That you can witness a miracle. That you can be a part of a miracle. That God can do something supernatural in your life and it becomes a moment rather than a mission. It becomes an experience rather than a legacy. It becomes a personal blessing rather than a seed that is sown in a field that will feed the next generation or the next hungry person that comes along. It's a prophetic warning to the church. And I want to emphasize this point because if you're ignorant of the supernatural, if you don't understand how it works you think well if god's just on autopilot and if god is going to do it then he just does it on his own he could do it that way but he chose not to do it that way that's god's business you always see cooperation with miracles i can't find a biblical miracle where there's just one person involved. god is always engaging other people to participate in what he's doing because his desire is just like elijah he wants to bring his people together god is a father he loves his people to be connected amen there's something important of us not just acknowledging certain things but coming together and sharing our lives being in the same room being at the same table being at the same altar drinking the same spiritual food and the same spiritual meat this this is this is hypercritical in the kingdom of god so what's the next step that happened so, the other prophet in town is Obadiah. And Obadiah is not exactly in good styling either because Jezebel doesn't like him because he hit a bunch of prophets that she was after, you know? Hallelujah. Sometimes when you're just serving God, you get in trouble. It's okay. It's okay to get in godly trouble, all right? That's not, that's not a problem at all. So let's jump over to 1 Kings 18 again, verse 7, 8, 9. Let's read that. Because I love Obadiah's response here. Okay? Now, Obadiah was on the way. Behold, Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, Elijah, my master? And he said to him, It is I. And Elijah says to him, Go say to your master, meaning Ahab the king, Behold, Elijah is here. Now, think about this for a minute. Elijah has an international search party looking, or Ahab has an international search party looking for Elijah. And Elijah says, guess what I want you to do for me, Obadiah? I want you to go tell him where I'm at. <laughs> Here's, now Obadiah's a man of God. He, he's a man of courage. He's already hit the other prophets, right? But he said, what sin have I committed that you're handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? And then he goes on to explain, look, you know, you're here, you're there, there's all these sightings, there's all these, like, you know, where's, where's he at? Where's the prophet at? And I'm going to tell him you're here, and you're going to come, and you're going to, and he said, wait a minute, if you tell him I'm going to be here, I, I, I'm going to be here. Here's my point. God brought somebody together in his agenda with Elijah to bring this miracle to pass. You understand that? There's a covenantal connection because that's the heart of God. That is how He works. And so when God is stirring something up in you or stirring up in somebody else, He's looking for participants. You know, you can sit in the audience and you can hear Dick and Susie talk about some of these outrageous mission opportunities and you could say, boy, I hope somebody goes. Or you could say, Lord, is that something that I should be a part of. 
Is that something I should be participating? Should I go? Should I help somebody else go? Should I babysit so somebody can go? Should I write a check so somebody can go? Can I fill in their, you know, their serving in the church? I mean, whatever it is. But you begin to think. See, if you're covenantal, you begin to think in terms as God is doing something. God has an agenda. And I'm no longer a spectator. I am participating in what God is doing because God is going to blend the natural and the supernatural. Now let's just jump ahead one more time to verse 30 and verse 31 because this is the heart of the story. This is what is moving this whole thing. This is the mission that Elijah is locked into. This is why he spent time hiding and waiting for the ravens to bring lunch. This is why he hid out with the, with the widow for a while. This is why he did, this is why he risked his life to confront Ahab, not once, but to confront, and Ahab's got a, you know, a reputation for killing people, okay? So he's done all this because there's a greater mission. There's a greater agenda. You will never experience faith beyond yourself just for yourself unless you see it in the bigger cause of Christ. When you see people moving in supernatural courage and obedience, it's not because they have something inside of them that you don't have. It's because they have something beyond them. Do you understand that? And that's what draws them to run across that battlefield and do something crazy. So in verse 30 and 31, he says, Then Elijah said to all the people, you know, this is after the prophets have been humbled and and they've gone home and, you know, it's, you know, revival has started now. Come forward to me. So all the people came forward to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. What was the focus on? Lifting up God, lifting up His redemption, lifting up His purpose. And the next verse, literally when I read this verse, it it makes me weep at the goodness of God and God's intention. Read the next verse. Then Elijah took the twelve stones. Now remember the tribe, the the tribes of Israel are divided at this point. It's a split kingdom. You've got Judah and you've got Israel. There's a lot of tension, okay? And you know, when the Bible writes the history, you talk about, you know, the kings of the north or kings of the south. So, But in God's mind, no. Okay? Then Elijah took the twelve stones corresponding to the number of the twelve tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel should be your name. I don't care what your political affiliation is, he's telling them. I don't care what king is ruling over you. I don't care what longitude and latitude you live on. You are my kids. You belong to me. I have an agenda. I did all this to remind you that I love you. I embrace you. I have a purpose for you. That was the purpose of the miracle. So when God is doing something in your life, something significant, something supernatural, that you are training yourself to lift up your eyes a little bit and say, God, God where is this going? At least have divine suspicion. Even if you don't know something for sure, just be, ah, ah, I got a suspicion God is up to something. You know, we just experienced favor. We just experienced blessing. We just experienced an open door. Ah, God, I'm just, I, like, I got my bags packed. I got my antennas up. I filled up the gas tank. I am ready. Something is about to happen here, and I'm going to be a part of it in the name of Jesus. How about you? All right. So let's just jump back again now to this process. So 1 Kings 17, let's go back to verse 7. So this is very important right here. And this is probably the meat of what I want to give you. But it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. 
Let's be real here. The guy risks his life, confronts the king. He declares that God, through his word, is going to control the heavens and it's not going to rain, and it comes to pass. Then he goes out and hangs out, and ravens have his zip code and start dropping mail on him. In the middle of all these supernatural things, there's a collision with the natural, and the brook dries up. I want you to think about this. When you embrace the supernatural, it is not absent of a collision with the natural. And a lot of people cast their supernatural blessings in when they hit the wall of the natural thinking, well, and, and their thinking is wrong. I'm not saying it's not sincere. Like, well, if God was in this, you know, then it would just be happening. But as you follow the scriptural pattern, you see the natural and the supernatural colliding all the time. Now, I know there's a lot of believers that say, well, I'm just natural. Quit saying that, because you're not just natural. There's a part of you that's natural, but you're supernatural if you were born again. Don't just be natural. Stop that. Okay? Let's take Paul. Paul says he's got a word to go see the, you know, to go confront Rome. He gets on a ship. The ship's in a storm. He's got a supernatural word. He runs into a natural storm. He got an angel shows up because now he gets supernatural deliverance. He lands on the island and he runs into a natural snake. Then he gets a supernatural deliverance, has a healing ministry. They put him back in the boat as a prisoner. The natural collides. He goes to Rome, has supernatural utterance, gets thrown in jail. Do you see the pattern here? There's the natural and the supernatural that are colliding. If you don't understand that, if you don't understand that you're like a missile from God and you're blowing apart that natural realm that you're going to encounter that, then you can miss it and say, well, I guess, I guess God wasn't in that. When you embrace the supernatural, you're embracing both the super and the natural. I was, I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1979. I was saved four years. I'm looking at a big world map where T.L. Osborne had done all his evangelistic crusades over a 50-year period. And as I'm looking at this map, I notice this line. And there's nothing behind that line. And I'm like, oh, that's the Iron Curtain. This is 1979. And as I'm looking at this, I mean, I'm ignorant. I don't know... I mean, I went to public school, you know, sometimes. <laughs> and uh, I'm looking at this map, and the Holy Spirit says to me, one of my first clear words I ever heard from God, I'm going to send you there. Can I just say this to you? When you get a word like that, don't say how. Say okay. How will always trip your faith and your vision. A double-minded man wonders. Wonders. How's that going to happen? Okay. Forwarded a few years later, we're planning a church, 1982 in Pittsburgh. We're meeting in the Holiday Inn conference room. We have maybe, maybe on a good Sunday, 50 people at that point. A nuclear engineer from Westinghouse walks into our church. A Baptist guy that got filled with the Holy Spirit and his church invited him to leave. He said, I need a home. I need people like you. I said, you found the right place. We're that people. Hallelujah. He was Chinese by, by birth, but Taiwanese by culture. His great-great-grandfather had escaped China during the revolution. But they were converted under 
Hudson Taylor's ministry. <laughs> Can this get any? He walks into our church. He's a nuclear engineer with Westinghouse, and he's assigned to the Scandinavian countries. He's going back and forth in the Scandinavian countries, and, he, and he's going to church there, and he comes into this church that they are doing a lot of underground work in the Soviet Union. One of their key members is in jail as he talks to me for smuggling material about imprisoned believers out of the Soviet Union. He approaches me after church. I don't say a word. He approached me at church one day. He said, have you ever thought about going to the Soviet Union? I said, what? And through those few years, I can't say I prayed about it all the time. I did some research. I studied. There was a burden building in my heart. I began to get a compassion. Listen, Jesus was moved with compassion. And when God starts giving you compassion for something or somebody, let it move you. That's God's grace moving you. I begin to get this compassion. I didn't tell Aaron everything I knew at that point. We began to meet. So we met every Friday for a year and prayed. We made a trip over to Sweden to meet with the Swedish believers to find out what was going on. And, and in those days, it was very hard to get into the Soviet Union. It took, it took six, eight months to get a visa. You know, you had, I mean, when you got off the, when you got off the plane, they met you at the plane. Okay, I'm just telling you. It, it was a very intense situation. But we made the first trip, and God showed up. The ravens were flying low, and their baskets were full. We had supernatural connections. Okay, every person that the Swedes had given us to connect with, every one of those connections were made. And it was like Casablanca. Get on this train, get off this train, march for. I mean, it was, it was, you felt like you were in a movie script because people's lives were in danger. I remember going to this meeting. There were several teenage girls in this little minivan with us. All of them had already spent time in jail for teaching Sunday school classes. And I thought, I don't know if I signed up for this. Honestly, there were, this was a great strategy for Dick to go. I love strategy. But, but now it was my body. Some, God was cashing a check with my body. Are you with me? But I'm just telling you, it was amazing. So we went back home. The church was excited. We were training other people. The next time I go, I have a greeting party. Now I'm sitting in jail in the Soviet Union. This is not what I signed up for. All of a sudden, the natural and the supernatural had collided. But I knew that I knew that I knew that I had a word from God. I didn't start bailing on God. I didn't start saying, God, if you were in this, this never would have happened. And God, how could this happen? I knew enough to know, okay, God, your Redeemer looking for a place to happen. I don't know what you're up to, but this is bigger than me. Hallelujah. Are you with me? And as a result of this, we ended up getting out. We went back, reported. We told them what happened. So now, we, now, you know, we're going back in the next time, right? We're going through a different area because they weren't real computerized at that point. So we could get through the board. Things start exploding. You know, Pastor Dick says people were getting saved by the acre. We were in Latvia. When the Soviet tanks rolled in, when the Latvians had the, the doors, the, 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 they were barricaded. Okay. They were tearing down the statue of... It was like Forrest Gump. You ever watch? I was like, I was Forrest Gump. Okay, I was... They're, they're, and I'm standing on top of these piles trying to preach to people and the guy's jabbing me. I turn around, he's got a machine gun telling me, get down from there. I obeyed him. Okay? But what happened was 
That gave us such incredible favor with those believers. I had a door of utterance that was opened that no man could shut. Are you with me? But the natural and the supernatural collided. When you embrace the supernatural, you're also embracing the natural. The natural is not going to go away. It's going to become a stepping stone to the next point. That brook dried up, and when that brook dried up, God used the brook drying up to move Elijah to the next place. When a miracle happens, it's designed to move you to the next place. When the miracle doesn't happen, it's designed to move you to the next place. You have to keep your eyes on the agenda. You have to know where you're, where you're going. You at least have to know the next step of everything that's going on. Now see, I didn't know this at the time, but God was preparing me for jail ministry in the United States. Over the next several years, I'd be arrested several times for just being a pro-life person. And here's what's great. I wasn't afraid. Because I'd been through, and I got arrested again in the Soviet Union. This time in the Ukraine, okay? That was a little more scary, that second arrest, actually. But again, God's favor showed up. I wasn't rattled, okay? Did I like it? No. But it wasn't because I had some inward strength that you didn't have. Don't believe that. It's because I had an outward vision. Do you understand? It wasn't some super, you know, like character trait that I had. It was something bigger than me. I could see what God was doing. I could lift up my eyes. I now see, and here's what's great. Once you go through this a couple times, you begin to understand the environment you're in. Okay? I'm not saying you ever master it, but I'm saying you become discerning of it. And sometimes there are things happening in your life that if you're undiscerning or more supernatural than you understand, it wasn't just a coincidence. I mean, we just choose to give God the credit for every good thing. Are you me? That's just our approach to life. We're just going to give God the credit for every good thing. Now, we've seen this thing happen in our personal life the same way. You know, the exact same way. We moved back from Florida a number of years ago. That would have been 1995. We wanted to buy some property in the country. I was trying to buy property. Nothing's worked. And I found this property I really liked. And it was for sale by the owner. And I met the person. And I just like, and so I called my real estate agent the next day. I said, hey, I found this property. It's for sale by owner. I started describing it. She goes, oh, you never want to deal with that person. She said she's never going to sell that property. She's never going to list that property. It's always going to be something else added to the deal. She says she's got a terrible reputation. The next day, my real and I'm still living in Florida. The next day, the real estate agent called me. She said, you're never going to believe what happened. She's like, you know that lady you talked about? She, said, she walked in my office and listed her property this morning. So we negotiated. I ended up buying the property considerably less than what she had you know, tried to negotiate with me. And there was a guy that was supposed to buy, it was 38 acres all involved, and it was an old farmhouse and barn that needed a lot of work. I always tell people I was more, I was more brave than I was skilled, you know. <laughs> and uh, long story short, the guy that was supposed to help me buy the property bailed on me. He was going to buy a little part of it. And I felt like the Lord said, I got this. I got this. I ended up selling that same piece of property, one acre off the corner, for four times what he was going to pay me for it. We had to go through a whole septic environmental thing. They told me it would never pass. It passed. Okay? 
Then what happened when the civil engineer drew up cutting out the acre, he just happened to draw up everything on that side of the driveway and divided it into lots. You know, he said, well, he had his roller rod. He just like measured it a lot. And so when the neighbors saw the new people drilling the well, the other neighbor came over and said, what are you doing? I said, I sold that property because you sold that property. He goes, let me see. So I handed him the survey, you know, that was all done with these fictitious lots drawn in it. He panicked and offered me a lot of money for the rest of that property. So I ended up selling all that for just about what we had bought the whole thing for. Hallelujah. Amen. Now listen, all through that process, the natural and the supernatural were colliding. The first guy bailed on me. Then they told me it wouldn't pass. Then they, then they actually gave me a report that said it didn't pass. And then they called me and said it did pass. <laughs> Are you with me? And then God sent these people to buy the property and just... But what I'm saying is, I understood that that wasn't just so we would have a better lifestyle. Those things that happened, we understood God was blessing us, and we invested that money into the kingdom. We put ourselves in a place where we could go and do whatever God asked to do and never have to worry about anybody paying us or, or what kind of offering we'd get or any of those things. We just like, we're going to do this, and we're going to do it as unto the Lord. We understood that there was a method to the madness, that there was an agenda that God was doing. Are you with me? I was so glad that first guy bailed. <laughs> I had to send him a card and thank him again. Hallelujah. But when that natural and that supernatural collided, and it looked like I was going to be a day late and a dollar short, literally, that God had another agenda. I got what he said to my spirit. I'll never, he said, I got this. <laughs> That's exactly what I, I got this. I was like, okay, Lord, you got it. I'm glad you do. <laughs> But see, again, now I had, I had walked through some things. I'd learned to embrace the super and the natural when they collided. When you were born again, the natural didn't go away, but the super came. Did you hear me? When you got born again, it was like Jesus being raised from the dead, only instead of in Jerusalem, it was in your life. And He has come now to confront the natural in your life. Hallelujah. So that you could embrace the supernatural things of God. Hallelujah. Let's stand up together. Just lift up your hands with me for a minute. The Holy Spirit, one of His ministries is to bring us into remembrance. And I think sometimes there are things that happen. When I started writing this book that I wrote, literally... I'm almost embarrassed to tell you, there were great things that happened, Pastor Dick, that I hadn't thought about in years. And as I started writing, it was like I was writing about them happening to somebody else. It was like, this, this is so cool, God. You know, like I hadn't repeated, I hadn't thought about it in years. I was like, this is amazing. What, you know, it got me. But then as I connected the dots, even as I wrote the, after I wrote the book, I read the book and it was amazing. <laughs> I thought, this is a cool story, Lord. <laughs> but even from that perspective, I was still getting a bigger picture. There are things that have happened in your life that are happening right now that you need to see them from 30,000 feet instead of from three feet. God, what are you up to? God, when you see that, your ability to watch the natural and the supernatural collide will no longer intimidate you. Hallelujah. 
Lord, bring to our remembrance right now. Breathe on us. Make us that people that can embrace it, Lord. Whether we're the Obadiah in the story, whether we're the Elijah in the story, whether the widow in the story, whether we're the raven in the story, God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, we are a supernatural people. We've been born again. Our birthright is in the resurrection and i declare before every demon in hell and every circumstance on this planet that greater is he that is in me than he that is world that the same spirit that dwells in jesus christ dwells in me and it is quickening making me alive to the purposes of god hallelujah are you there are you there lord open our eyes give us revelation this morning in the name of jesus Let us see it. Let us see it. Lord, I pray for a spirit of courage on your people this morning. A spirit of courage, Lord. A spirit of courage to confront the prophets of Baal, to confront the circumstances, to confront the empty pots and the broken lives, Lord, in Jesus' name. And to embrace with the other hand the opportunity to participate, that you're building your church with living stones not dead ones living ones hallelujah thank you father thank you for impartation this morning lord let us grasp the supernatural in jesus name amen hey if you're here today and you don't know the lord we'd love to pray with you our ministry team will be up front listen to there's faith today for miracles in the house. If you need something, you're, you're desperate, there's something you need a breakthrough on or you need a touch from God, please don't leave here today. We want to stand with you. We want to pray with you, all right? Last thing I'll mention, no marriage class today because of our uh, state of the church tonight. So that'll be at 6 o'clock. On the way out, there's some great resources from Keith and Penny that I know will bless you. Please stop by if that will be uh, of interest to you and pick up a copy of their books, all right? We love you guys. God bless you. If you need ministry, come on down. Have an amazing afternoon.